Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Hi, I'm Donovan Brown, Senior DevOps Program Manager at Microsoft, and today I'm here with Damian Brady, like the Brady Bunch. That's right. Yeah, Brady, got it. From Octopus Deploy, and we're just going to have a nice conversation on some really cool things from around DevOps. So tell me, what do you do for Octopus Deploy? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I do dev, so I'm, I'm a dev for Octopus oh, Deploy cool. as well, but I also manage the community and partner relationships and, and things like that. That's why our paths cross so much. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll be speaking at conferences and, and things like that. Usually around DevOps more so than Octopus itself. Okay. Um, I, I kind of find that, especially from my point of view, um, I mean, I want you to use Octopus Deploy if you're out there doing that because that's what pays my salary. And sure. it, and, but it's a good product and that's why I joined the company. Um, but really, if you're doing things properly, then I don't mind if you're using Octopus or another tool, as long as as long as you're doing DevOps properly, really. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can echo that. I've, I, I was joking the other day, uh, I was like, of course, I want you to use everything that we have here at Microsoft, sure, yeah. right? And yeah. but it's it's no longer about the vendor lock-in because so many of our customers are saying we want the best of breed. Mm -hmm. And I and I sometimes I, I challenge customers that say that because mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so what was the feature of that product that made it better than the product you were using? Yeah. And then nine times out of ten, they're not using that feature. They're they literally are they want the best of breed out of vanity. For, uh, that's the only reason that they chose it because they said it was the best, so I need it. But it yeah. doesn't solve any more problems than yep. the other one. So and it it hurts as well if the decision comes from the people not doing the work. So uh, one of the things that we do at Octopus is we we focus very much on the product itself and a lot less on the marketing. So we'll we'll go to conferences and we'll have a booth at a conference and so on. But we we're only at developer conferences. We we want to we want the developers to use the tool, not. We don't want to convince the CIOs that they need to push it down. It's not. It's not the way that it works. You know, if it works for the developers, that's that's who that's who cares. Because that's it. the person who's generating that value that we want to deliver to our end users. Mm. I've gone in a lot of organizations though when when the developers have a good idea yep. and they try to communicate or convince that to the C-level executives, they get a lot of pushback. Mm. Are are you finding that in your in your area as well? Uh, a little bit, especially more as Octopus becomes more mainstream. So um, Octopus. For a while, was lots of developers who are kind of pushing the boundaries and at, at you know, the cutting edge of whatever they're they're trying to do at the time, um, and so they would they would just start using the tool and then that would be that would be it. And now, as it becomes a lot more mainstream, um, we're getting a lot more interactions with the the larger organisations and the people who have to go to the CTO or CIO and say, hey, we want to use this tool, and then we get the questions about can you fill out this five-page questionnaire about how fits all these features and so on. So we are seeing a little bit more of that, that you know, we need to justify this from a massive business perspective and so on, which is understandable. I mean, that has to happen. The business needs to make these decisions about what tools to use if they're investing money. Um, I mean, Octopus, Octopus isn't very expensive in the scheme of things at all. Um, so that makes it an easier argument. Right. But um, we, we do need to tick all those boxes. And so as the products got bigger and expanded, we've started um, you know, building more of these features that are in these checkboxes. Yeah, I've noticed a lot too that it's hard to convince someone who's successful mm. to change what they've been doing. So when your devs want to go and introduce this new pipeline or this new product into their pipeline, mm. I started telling them, stop asking for permission to do it. Just do the right thing for your company because you're going to try to convince someone who doesn't believe that what you're doing now isn't good because yes. you're number one. Mm. And when you go and try to convince someone, to change what has made them successful, you're obviously going to get resistance. So why don't you just go show them with, I always tell them that results trump all arguments. Yep. 
yeah. right? So let's just go get some better results. And when they ask you, like, man, you guys are delivering a lot more frequently. How did you do that? Oh, mm -hmm. we started using product X or feature Y or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, that's fantastic. Whereas if I had gone to you and said, if you let me do this, all this great stuff will happen. You're like, no, just keep doing it the way that you've been doing it. Yeah, because there's always that argument as well. If you're a developer, how do you justify spending you know, a week nailing your deployment? lifecycle or your, your whole DevOps lifecycle. How do you justify spending that week doing that work versus moving stuff from the left-hand side of the column to the right-hand side? Yeah. Right. Um, and so having that argument is, yeah, it's, it's a hard argument to have. So usually the advice I give is just, just start and just do one thing. Like, what, what is the worst thing about when your lifecycle right now? <laughs> just fix that one thing and then fix the next thing and exactly. so on. And before you know it, you're on this, this lifecycle where your deployments are literally, you know, right, um, commit my code and if it's great, then it'll go through the pipeline and it'll be in production. Exactly. So for those who don't know what Octopus is, right, because we keep saying it as if Sorry. we assume yep. everyone knows what it is. Yeah, so true. just take a second or two to tell us what it is so that we know where it fits in the pipeline that we're building because sure. there's so many parts to a DevOps pipeline. There are, yeah. So Octopus Deploy is a deployment automation solution for .NET developers. That's basically what's written on so the website. Okay. Yep. Um, as we go on, the part about for .NET developers is becoming less and less true. Okay. But that's where it started. Sure. So um, we're really good at things like uh, ASP.NET deployments and Windows services and Azure deployments, um, okay. Azure websites and all this kind of stuff. But as we're moving forward, we're starting to go into Linux-based um, deployments. So at the moment, you can connect to an SSH endpoint and deploy over SSH. Um, as well as that, I think we've just released some Docker steps as well. So now you can say, here's a Docker image. I want you to run that, spin that up over here. Gotcha. So as we go on, we're, we're expanding those boundaries. But right. in terms of the whole DevOps lifecycle, you know, you go everything from what do we need to write all the way through to how is this working in production, yep. Octopus fits very much in the deployment automation part. Okay. So we basically take the output of your build, and then we orchestrate all of the steps that are needed to deploy your application into Whatever. all of your environments. Perfect. And that's, that's the, the entire list of things that need to happen. So you know, if you have an Azure website, for example, yes, it's fine to push that out to Azure, but you might have a database, SQL database somewhere. You might have a third-party service somewhere. You might need to let the CEO know that there's a new version by email. So all of these orchestrated steps, that's what Octopus does. What about testing and things like that? You can do that um, with Octopus, and I have done it before myself, actually, before I worked for Octopus when I was using it. Um, often people will put unit tests and things like that in the CI. Right, but I'm talking about integration tests, load yep. tests, pin tests, things like that. Yeah, so there's a couple of ways to do it. And one of the ways that I've done in the past as well is you use Octopus to deploy, because there's some things you can test before you deploy the application, sure. but for your integration tests, penetration tests, all that sort of stuff, it has to be deployed. So you can basically with Octopus, you, anything you can script, you can do. So um, I have done examples before where you deploy Octopus, sorry, you deploy your application to a server using Octopus and then you run some Selenium test or right. some load test or something against that. And that's just part of your deployment lifecycle. If those fail, then that deployment has failed. Sure. Um, so you would not roll back, obviously, you'd roll forward. Forward, that's what we do yeah. nowadays too. Exactly. Yeah. So it's funny, a lot of people, because release management's pretty much the complement that we have here for, for Octopus Deploy. Yep. And a lot of people are like, where's the rollback, where's the rollback? I'm like, yes. well, the funny thing is, is, a lot of us don't roll back anymore, right? We roll forward. Mm -hmm. if, and I think I, Buck Hodges is our director of engineering, and I was on a call with him once, and he says, 
if you can't get it right going forward, what are the chances of you getting it right going backwards, right? So a rollback is such that's a good, risky yeah. endeavor. Uh, you're better off having a pipeline that's so efficient that I can push out a corrective fix for it that yes. will be deployed over the broken code or mm -hmm. implement a more sophisticated uh, deployment like feature flags yes. where whatever it is that has caused the problem can immediately be turned off so mm -hmm. that you can mitigate that problem, correct it, push it back out, re-enable that flag, allow people to see it again, see if it's better or not, and be able to turn it off. So yep. when we're deploying Visual Studio Team Services, we do the exact same thing. The reason that I was interested in having here is because I noticed a lot of our customers use both products, right? We, yeah. we, we run into Octopus Deploy a lot uh, mm -hmm. out in the field, but it's not as if they don't use release management because they seem to use Octopus Deploy as the, the piece that moves the bits, yeah. but then when they want to run their automation test, when they want to run their pen test, they basically use Visual Studio Team Services and release management in particular mm. to orchestrate everything that happens around the deployment. Do you see that? Yeah, I do actually. So we uh, we have an Octopus extension in the VSTS marketplace. We had one very early on, actually. We did, yeah, yeah. and and it was it's great actually. This is a whole new Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm. um, I I worked really closely with the Microsoft guys to get the first version of that in. Um, you know, when extensions were such a new thing. So um, yeah, especially with uh, you know some of the some of the guys on that team, you know, helping me face to face with with getting this stuff in. So. That extension, I think, is the 12th most installed awesome. extension. So it's the second most installed non-Microsoft extension. That is awesome. Um, and we have steps. They basically just build, Task. build and release tasks. Yep. Yeah. So we have, um, you know, uh, we have package steps as well because Octopus works on you get packages. packages or zips now or tarballs as well. Ah, Again, gotcha. expanding you to um, Linux. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we have that. We have create a release in Octopus, deploy a release, um, and then promote releases. So what we're starting to see, especially with people using VSTS, is they will have Octopus as part of their build process. So they'll build, run their unit tests, and then they'll package it, push sure. it to Octopus, and then create a release in Octopus, which is ready to go. Gotcha. And then in release management, they can use all of the approval processes yep. and so on that are, that are part of that whole pipeline. Right. Um, and then the steps that they use are the, okay, now deploy this to dev, and then maybe cloud load testing, things like that. And then the next stage would be promote from dev to staging. So they will use both tools together. I've seen them in working in concert quite a bit as well. Mm. Now, before we came on the air, uh, you had said something, and, and I was kind of echoing your sentiment where you're saying, we don't care if you're using Octopus or not, just do it right. Yeah. And I, the way that I approach that from a Microsoft perspective is, I just want to make sure my customers are successful. Yes. Right. And, and I notice that sometimes they're they're hell bent on using Jenkins. Right? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, okay, it's the new Microsoft. You'd be surprised. Our source control goes into Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Our release management will pull from Jenkins. If you have an investment there and you want to use it, go for it. Yeah. But what I want to make sure that people do is that they build a pipeline. I believe with as few vendors as possible. And the yeah. reason why is because it, it, it lowers the cost of integration. Mm -hmm. It lowers the cost of maintenance. Not because we're trying to lock you in to a vendor, right? Because I know how many people are fearful of vendor lock-in. Yep. Historically, vendor lock-in was bad because it was an all-or-nothing type of endeavor, right? If you want to mm -hmm. use our tools, you got to use them all. Yep. And if you saw this really cool shiny object in the corner, yep. you couldn't use that object now because you can't. You had to use our build system, even though this build system was better. Yes. And yeah. And I've noticed now, and we're we're very serious about this with Visual Studio Team Services, that you can use whatever piece of our platform that you want, and mm -hmm. not the parts that you want, which is why we work so closely with you when we did. Because yeah, yeah. if Octopus was the way that they wanted to go, instead of release management or in combination with, we needed to make sure that we enabled our customers to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world now where our customers want both 
They want the freedom to pick the best of breed, yep. but they also want the ease of, I don't want to deal with the maintenance myself, yes, right? Yeah. So are you seeing a lot of that as well? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's one of the questions we often get is, um, you know, we already have release management as part of our thing. Why would we use Octopus? And the answer, I guess, is, you know, if release management does everything you want it to do, then, you, you know, there's no problem using that at right. all. But obviously, we are trying to integrate as closely with um, VSTS as possible because you don't, you don't want to lose you know, don't want to pick this thing up and then it's completely invisible as it goes right, forward. Right. So we're trying to integrate quite closely. But with any, you know, set of competing products, there's some things that Octopus does really well, some things that release management does really well. For sure. So, you know, the, the right tool for the job is, is an important thing. But th the same thing, I mean, we, we don't do builds. Right. Um, we don't care where they come from. If they come from VSTS, great, we'll make that easy. If they come from Team City, great. Right. Uh, Jenkins, great. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. So. We, we do see that kind of, well, we have an investment in VSTS, we're going to use it end-to-end. -end. But if any of those pieces, like you were saying, aren't exactly the right tool for the, for the job, if, if something else is going to work a bit better, then being able to plug those in is a, is a fantastic Yeah, thing. and it's also changed the way that we do development here at Microsoft, too, because we used to hang our hat on integration. Like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't the best build <coughs> system in the world, but it integrated with our work on track. Yeah, it wasn't the yes. best this in the world, but it integrated with everything else. So you got this unprecedented traceability. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that was simply wasn't enough, right? Yeah. People weren't happy. That wasn't enough for me to sacrifice these new innovations that were happening in CI. And I noticed that CI is one example that I use because it's like every day there's a new CI system that jumps on the board, right? There's like yeah. so many competitors in that space. And it's a good thing because it's really made us innovate yes. in whole new ways when it comes to that. So I like the fact that we have to now compete on each individual vertical because yep. I'm going to do a show um, later this afternoon for Visual Studio Toolbox on Kanban boards. Yep. Yeah, I think we have one of the best in the world. And yeah. the reason why is because it had to compete against all the rest and not lay on the laurels of, oh, I integrate, so then I don't have to be the best. Yep. Because so many of our customers are choosing Octopus Deploy for mm. legitimate reasons, right? And mm. now we're having to up our game as well. Yeah. So what, what, what I want to go back to is if they're doing it right, we don't care if they're using Octopus. Just sure. find for me what is doing it right. Um, yeah. So I guess doing it right, there's a, there's a few premises that Octopus was built on as well, which... Um, which are good practices, whether they're in Octopus or not. One of them is um, repeatability. So we, we often see places where even if they are using Octopus, they will use Octopus to go to a dev environment and a test environment and maybe even a staging environment, but then production is a everybody comes in on the weekend and you know we do it manually using the Word document. Right? This, you've obviously seen this a lot. Um, I've yeah. written that document too. It's yeah, horrible. I know, I know. Um, so they just don't trust it. Yeah. It's, simply, it's fear and, un, and just trust. But to me, you saw it work in dev, you saw it work in QA, you saw it work in staging. Mm. Why in the world do you not think it's going to work? In, the whole point of doing it three times the exact same way is to have that confidence in production. Exactly, yeah. And because if you do it with the document, or if you do production deployments a totally different way, then that is literally the first time you have tried this. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've had this, whenever I tell people and I look at their pipelines, all the, what I'm looking for is consistency across every environment. Yeah. If the last thing I want to do is something for the first time in production. Yes. I, I will only know if it fails or passes the first time I actually do it in the most important environment yeah. that I have. Yeah, exactly right. So, and that's one of the key things as well. And Octopus is built around that. For a project, you have one deployment, uh, one set of deployment steps. So you don't say, here's my steps for dev, here's my steps Got for staging, it. here's my steps for production. It's one set of steps. 
And yes, sure, you can you can scope certain steps to different environments because maybe you don't have a load balancer in your test environment. Or you don't want to run load test in your production environment. That kind of stuff, yeah. No, but for the most part, yeah, one set of steps. So you're doing the same thing over and over again. Awesome. Obviously, deployment automation is like automation of everything, everything you can. Take the humans out of it because Everything you can. Yeah, that's the important word, everything you can. Yes. Not everything, right? Yes. Because the approvals need to happen. Uh, exploratory yeah. testing, functional testing is an extremely critical part of any type of application development. Yep. And you simply cannot automate out a yep. human being attacking your software, right? Yes. So I like the fact that there's tools that will kind of pause. They're like, okay, what? We've automated up to this point. We're going to stop. Mm -hmm. And we're going to let you do whatever you need to do to give us that thumbs up. And yep. then we're going to start right back up again and finish the automation for you. Right? Immediately, yeah. yeah. So there's some things that, that computers are great at, some things that humans are great at, right? Completely agree. And if you put a human in the middle of the stuff that, that computers are great at, then that's bad. I think, I've, I've said this before, but you know, if you have a pipeline, like a deployment pipeline with a human in the middle, it's not a pipeline anymore. It's two pipelines with a dumb human in the middle. There you go. Interesting. So they, that human makes that mistake of, I've, I accidentally copied the web config over yeah. the production one, and oh, I need to go to the trash can to find out yeah. where the, yeah. Yeah, I scope what the humans are allowed to do. They're yes. allowed to do approvals, yep. right? Which means you're not, you're never touching the actual yep. bits that move, right? You can give me approvals that that environment is ready for me to do, or mm -hmm. you like what you saw so I can continue my automation, yep. or you can go and run some functional manual testing. Again, you're not copying bits, you're not changing configurations, you do not touch the zeros and ones. Yes. You can use them, but you cannot touch them is kind of the way that I, I yep. build pipelines. We, we have some customers as well, and I keep hearing these stories and they're awesome, but um, you know, where they're at the pub with the rest of their people on a Friday afternoon, and they will go to the manager and say, yeah, look, ev everybody's tested the stuff, it looks like it's fine, do you want to go to production? He's like, yeah, hand him the phone and he'll press the deploy button, nice. and now we're in production. That's awesome. On a Friday afternoon very you know, cool. at the pub. So, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very cool. And that's, that's, the, that's the nirvana, right? That's where we want to get. Mm. Uh, when I define DevOps for, for Microsoft, mm. one of the key words is value, yes. right? And, and not automation, not software. It's mm. value that you have to deliver. Yeah. Because as you said when we were talking earlier, you have to know how it's running. It starts with the idea, and it ends with it running monitored in production, right? Yeah. It doesn't end just because I copied files over there. Yes. It, 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 it ends when I can use the information that I'm collecting from the telemetry, from the monitoring, from the logs even, and put that back in my product backlog. Because yep. if what I just delivered no one is using, mm -hmm. I didn't deliver value. Yes, yes. You just copied files to a server, right? Yeah. And, it, and what I need to do is I need to use that information that, wow, we spent three sprints working on this, mm -hmm. we deployed it, and no one is using it, maybe the rest of our product backlog is also out of order, because that clearly was not important. Yeah. Right? Or there's two reasons that they're not using it. There's several reasons they might not be using it. One, they can't find it, so maybe we just have poor navigation. It's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. We didn't put enough marketing behind it. No one knows what the hell it's supposed to do anyway. Yep. Or it flat out is useless. Right. Yes. And again, yeah. you can run experiments, add more telemetry to determine which one those are. You can go and put a marketing campaign out and watch that data. Mm -hmm. And so many of us just deploy and prioritize out of gut instinct. Yes. And yeah. they don't use metrics. So yeah. are you finding a need to do that too? We are. And we've even had people ask whether we're going to add this kind of stuff. Uh, right now, we're like deployment automation, right? But you need to know when this stuff um, you know, is working and when it's in production. And you mentioned feature flags before. And that's an awesome way of doing it. And some of the best uses for feature flags I've seen is things like A-B testing yep. as well, where you push something to production, do a bit of an A-B test, and then decide, look, option B is clearly the best because we've got the telemetry around it. Absolutely. 
But it's, it's horrible if you have to then go back to the developers and say, right, you need to change it so now option B is the only one, and then you go through this whole life cycle of deployment. It's great with the feature flags because you can just tell the marketing department to like flick the flag over and now that's the... For everyone. Yep, for yeah. everyone. And that's what's in there. Yeah, yeah I, had a, I had an interview with Aaron because we, we mentioned feature flags quite a bit and mm -hmm. I kind of cornered him and said, define feature flags and explain to us if there really are just like unicorns, crap, and Skittles because it can't be all happiness, right? Yeah. Where's the yeah. cost? And you got to remember your cyclomatic complexity goes up. You got to go mm -hmm. back and clean those flags up eventually, right? Yep. So, yes, feature flags are great but don't just go willy-nilly with them because your code becomes almost like a spaghetti yep. of all these if statements that they aren't even really part of the logic. They're telling you what logic to run, but if you have too many of them, it gets like complicated yeah. as well. So. I, I recently had a conversation with Andrea from Launch Darkly. Oh yeah, so yeah. She's yeah. A, they have an uh, extension in our in our marketplace yes. too. Yeah, that's one of the really popular yeah, ones. Yeah. And I've done I've done a talk um, before about feature flags, basically deploying straight to production. But that's a it was a you know clickbait kind of title. Sure, sure. Um, but deploying to production, having things behind feature flags and so on. But I was speaking to her recently as well, and, and there are some things that aren't great with feature flags. Sure. Like if you're making massive architectural changes, then it's probably going to introduce more complexity than is worthwhile doing a feature flag around right. that. Um, there's also other considerations like if you change the schema, you need to make sure that if you turn that flag off again, it's not just irreconcilably broken. No, basically the, the night uh, capital like yeah. capital story, right? That's essentially yes. something that happened. Yeah. They reused a flag that they shouldn't have reused, and when they rolled the code back, mm. the code misinterpreted what that meant now, and they lost, uh, what is it, half a billion dollars yeah, or something. $440 million something, in something, yeah, 45 minutes. Yeah, some yeah. crazy amount of money. So, yeah, yeah it, it's really important. It's interesting because when you do database deployments, the best practice that we've been telling our customers is that it has to be at least one version backwards compatible. Yeah. Right? So that if you advice, do, yeah. in a, in, you do need to turn that feature off, it's basically yeah. back to version in minus one, mm -hmm. and it better understand what that database schema is. So if you really want to remove a column or repurpose one, it has mm -hmm. to be two versions from now where yeah. that whatever you just put out, you turn that feature flag off, it now reinterprets that column correctly. Yep. It's a little bit harder with when it comes to databases because there's data and the schema changes, but there are DevOps best practices for that as well. Yeah. And do you handle deployments of database schemas and stuff like that? Yeah, um, we actually have a really good relationship with Redgate. Yeah, so, so do we. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Redgate actually um, had a Redgate deployment manager for a while which was based on a fork of Octopus Deploy. Oh, wow. And after a while, um, they, they basically decided to come back and support Octopus Deploy, and so now they make some really good library step templates for um, for all of their SQL compare tools and SQL deploy tools. Sure. And um, the latest one, Ready I think, is Ready Roll. Yeah, yeah the it's migration the they have stuff. In too. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's a really good way of doing it as well, like the migrations yeah. process. It's, it's very similar to the code first migrations inside EF. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly similar. right. Yeah. And we, I think, we have library steps for for the EF code migrations as well. Very so cool. we have a community that that publishes like step templates and things like that for reuse and I think we just we just cracked 200 awesome. of those and they're everything from you know load balances to talking to slack to um, uh, notifying app insights that there's been a deployment which is really yeah because really you want to make sure you have those markers inside of your app insights when you go and look exactly at it, right yeah all of a sudden bad stuff happens why did it happen well you did a deployment right here and then all yep. of a sudden all hell broke loose so maybe it was that <laughs> yes exactly yeah and then you can roll forward your previous version right? Right, if, right, if you need to yeah. absolutely and if yeah. you're using things like deployment slots and things like that that actually yes. helps really quickly when you I love deployment slots for the fact that 
a lot of people, the, the first thing is to mitigate the, mm -hmm. the, the, the outage, right, if you have a live site incident. And yeah. a lot of times it's like rebooting the server. And I always say that's like corrupting the crime scene, <laughs> right? Because whatever caused you to crash, you just got rid of all the evidence. Yeah. And now you have to wait for it to crash again. Because all you've done by rebooting the server is guarantee that's going to happen again. Because yeah. right? you didn't fix yeah. anything, right? So what I liked about deployment slots was if I were to swap something into production and then bad things happen and I swap it back out, mm -hmm. I still have my crime scene. It's untampered with. Right? No one can see it. I can go in there. I can do root cause analysis, determine what that was, deploy another version to that same slot, swap mm -hmm. them again, and then kind of swap them back. So it's almost like a poor man's uh, feature flag almost, right? Because it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a wholesale rollback of your environment, yep. um, but it's not like a rollback that you would do in your pipeline. It's silly just swapping the slots back. Yep. But you got to remember, databases don't swap when you swap a slot in a website. A yeah, lot of people so don't understand that. That's right. So going back to your like one version behind, the sure. database should be there. Exactly. You can, if you swap the bits over, you still got the... It's got to make sure the old bits work with the current database. Yeah. Exactly, and that's yeah. where I first learned that was when I was when I was first working with deployment slots. It yeah. it really made me rethink about the way that I do deployments, and it's mm -hmm. almost very similar to what you're describing about do the same thing in every in every pipeline. Yeah. I notice a lot of customers will deploy to a web service, I mean to a, 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 an app service mm -hmm. in dev, and deploy directly to an app service in QA, and then deploy to a slot in production, and then swap them. Right. Yeah. I'm like. Why are you swapping for the first time in production? Yeah. Because there's, there's something bad there because a lot of times, let's say, for example, I were to deploy to your deployment slot what mm -hmm. I want to be in production, mm -hmm. and then I swap them and something bad happens, or something maybe something fails in my deployment. I can restart the deployment, and all it's going to do is swap what you really want out again. Yeah. Because they literally, they just they roll around each other, right? You yeah, redeploy. Yeah. So if you're going to use deployment slots, you should have used them in dev, you should have used them in QA, and you should have used them in production so that, as mm -hmm. you would do in Octopus Deploy, it's the exact same step. Yep. That way, you're not swapping for the first time in production, and you don't even know how a swap works or how long it takes or what the ramifications are. Yeah. And on the most risky part of your pipeline is when you're first time you're going to do a swap. So, guys, yeah. if you're using deployment slots, use them in every single environment that you're going to deploy to. Yeah, that's a, that's good advice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, trust <laughs> me. I've yeah. tr you I only know because I screwed up, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I, I share with these interviews some best practices and lessons that we've learned ourselves, right? So mm. they're an extremely powerful feature. I am a huge fan of deployment slots. I'm not yeah. encourage, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from using them. Mm -hmm. Use them correctly right? yeah. and, and use them effectively because it literally gives you a zero downtime deployment. Yes. There is never a time where your site's not available. I freaking love them, but be careful. You don't swap your way all the way into production. You know, I mean, your environments aren't slots. Your yeah. environments are environments, and you can still use your slots to warm up the slot no one sees, mm -hmm. run some smoke test against them, and then swap them when you're happy. So I'm interested as well, because you mentioned that um, about Docker, because that's kind of easier thing. Yeah, that and image. And now you, it's, it's more almost a VIP swap sometimes, where you Essentially will point at uh, you know the, the the Docker image that you know is working, right? But now it responds to production. So. Yeah, and you can do that a lot of times if you're doing something like an orchestrator, like Swarm or DCOS, or mm -hmm. where they can actually manage the fact of deploying all your images that are supposed to be versioned together, and should something bad happen, roll back. Yeah. When you're doing an, a one-off deployment of Docker, it's a little bit more difficult because you basically issued a run command to that host, yes. and for yeah. you to roll back, it's literally re issuing a run command of a, a previous tag or hopefully a, a previous hash instead of a tag. Because mm -hmm. a lot of our customers are are pushing to registries and they're tagging all of their items. They don't realize that you can actually deploy to registries the same tag multiple times right. and it will simply overwrite the last one. So if I were to accidentally overwrite latest yeah. and that's what I deployed and I want to roll back, you can't do latest anymore. And if you didn't tag uh, it again or better yet get the hash because every 
pushed to a registry generates a hash mm -hmm. that is guaranteed to be unique even if you were to redeploy the same tag over and over again. Right. So a lot of us are, are maturing into the fact that when we build a compose file, mm -hmm. we're actually using the hash, not the tag. Because yep. the tag can be, it's not immutable, yeah. but that okay. hash is, right? But uh, to your some point, you would yeah. be able to then instantly say, oh my God, go deploy that last image that I know was working correctly. Yep. But with the database, you still have the same thing. Because you don't yeah. put your database normally in an image. It's usually something that sits external. It doesn't change near as often as your front end. And if you needed to go back, that database better support that previous image as well. Yeah. So it's the same. It's what I found is interesting is the best practices for DevOps apply universally to mm. Docker, they were to if you're doing mobile, if you're doing whatever. It's like the whole goal is to make sure that I can effortlessly and continuously deliver value to our end users. Mm -hmm. And should crap hit the fan, be able to make sure you can gracefully handle it. I don't say roll back anymore. Yeah. Gracefully handle it because um, you want to make sure that your pipeline allows you to quickly mitigate that, be feature flags, or just be short enough and fast enough for me to be able to push out a fix. Yep. Right, yeah. Literally in what we call roll forward. Yeah, and that, that's one of the, the things that I keep talking about as well. It's a, we call it a virtuous cycle where, okay. where the faster you can deploy, so the, the shorter the cycle time between writing some code and having that working in production, the fewer things you need to put in each release, which means there's less risk so that you trust this process more and you get this, this kind of virtuous cycle of we deploy really fast because we trust it because we deploy really fast. Right. Yeah, so that, that for deployment automation especially and for that whole DevOps life cycle, it's really important to have that short cycle time so that you know, you're just doing little bits at a time and right. if something goes wrong, then it's that bit that's got wrong, right. not the last six months of... And what's so funny is that I, I have so many customers who are the exact opposite. I completely agree with you 100%, uh -huh. but they say it hurts so much, we don't want to do it very often. And what they're actually doing is making it more risky because yeah. a larger set of changes are going in at a time. I'm like, guys, you're doing this like, the exact opposite way. Yeah. If it hurts, do it more. Yes. Because it's nice say, for example, I were to deploy every six months. Mm -hmm. Two days out of the year, my life is hell. Yeah. But it's only two <laughs> days out of the year. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, yeah that... Every six months it sucks, but it's only twice, screw it. For the rest of the year, it's, it's gravy, right? Yeah. But if I had to pay that tax every single week, mm -hmm. eventually I'd say, enough is enough. we got to fix this because every week this is hell versus every six months or once a year, right? Yeah. So that's what I tell everyone. Trust me, if it hurts, do it more because that's going to be the, the motivation to go fix that pain. Yep. And what was the, the quote, the, uh, the closer you are to danger, the further you are from harm or something like that? It's mm. totally out of context because it's from like Lord of the Rings or something <laughs> like that. But, but I, I like the premise behind it where, you know, if this is something that is a, a dangerous thing, then do it more and be really close to it because then you're going to get it right and you're going gotcha. to make sure that you have the right protections around it and you're going to do this thing properly because right. it hurts you too much, right. like, you, like you were saying. I think it was, a, there's a quote that I, I can't remember, that I think it's Emerson who said, mm. um, the, the things in which you persist in doing become easier, not because the task becomes easier, but because you become better at doing it. It's something I'm paraphrasing, but it's yeah, like, yeah. do it over and over again. It's only hard because you don't do it very often, but the yes. more you do it, the easier it becomes. The task is just as hard as it was on day one. Yep. You're just so much better at doing it mm. now that it just feels like nothing. Now, yeah, you know, so. exactly. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we've been wanting to do this interview for a really long time. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. we finally got it in yeah, there, and thank you so much for coming and joining. Yeah, no problem. All right, guys. Fun. Take care. See you next time. Cheers.